Hello, and welcome to Into the Disneyverse, a podcast where our historians Jess and Tandy explore the world of Disney, including rides, resorts, restaurants, and so much more. On today's episode, we soar off into the cosmos with the King of Pop and his rowdy space crew as they search for the supreme authority in Captain EO. So, knock, knock, Jess. Who's there? The Cosmos, a universe of good and evil, where a small group struggles to bring freedom to the countless worlds of despair, a ragtag band led by the infamous Captain EO. So that's not a knock-knock joke. Um, I, I was going to say, I can't remember that to repeat it back to you. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to introduce today's attraction, which you may have guessed by now is Captain EO. I'm excited to talk about today's attraction because it means I get to talk about the Star Wars god himself, George Lucas, and one of my favorite musicians as a child, Michael Jackson. So I felt like Rod Serling writing copy for this episode because I kept using words I'd hear in Tower of Terror, like, this story is troubled and strange, which isn't surprising because Anytime Michael Jackson is involved, it's usually strange and troubled. Yep. But we love it because the cheese may. So Captain EO is the perfect storm of the most absolutely famous people of the time period working together on a Disney theme park project. You had George Lucas, Michael Jackson, Angelica Houston, James Horner, John Napier, Francis Ford Coppola, and many others. It's amazing that Michael Eisner was able to get such an amazing group of people together to do a ride or show for Disney, as I'm not, I don't think that would happen today. No, and you know, so so we're, we're recording this at the time of the, the, the switch of the bobs just happened at Disney, at Disney. Um, and you know, we, we talked some, we talked some smack about Michael Eisner because he was um, eccentric to say the least, but man, could that guy bring some people together for movies and for the parks? Like, like he was able to get some amazing stuff done at the parks. He was a powerhouse. So if you've never seen Captain EO and there's a good chance of a lot of people haven't, uh, as this movie was only in the parks for 10 years, 1986 to 1996. And then for a short revival period after Michael Jackson's passing 2010 to 2015, which in the scope of Disney attraction lifetimes is short-lived. Yeah. The movie is about a small ragtag space crew led by Michael Jackson's Captain EO as they set out to bring the supreme leader, played by Angelica Houston, the gift of song to bring light back to her world. And the whole thing was done in 3D glasses, lasers, smoke machines, and star fields for added effect. Very 80s. It is. If anything I've just said tickles your fancy, you can see it on YouTube, though in 2D. I've watched it and the making of several times and not just research for this topic. It's just a really entertaining movie because I'm a big Michael Jackson fan. I used to pop his cassette tapes into my portable Panasonic cassette player and ride my bike around the neighborhood until the street lamps came on. So this film or attraction, I would say, was definitely made for our generation. That's 80s early 90s kids. We were MJ kids. We were the thriller, beat it, bad, smooth criminal, remember the time generation. Yeah. And for, for me, my, my mom oh, yeah, she, loved Karen was a big fan. Michael Jackson. Lo- I mean, we had the thriller tape, like the VHS cassette tape. The 80s kids know exactly what I'm talking about. The making of thriller. And yep. Like we watched that on uh, all the time. And yeah, no. So I grew up with Michael Jackson in my house. Like we rode this a lot. And I, I'm sure it's because my mom was such a huge Michael Jackson fan. So as we know, usually a ride or attraction begins at one point, uh, example, a dream inside Walt Disney's head, and then a bunch of Imagineers develop it from there with some unrealistic deadline to serve it up to the public. But this story is different. 
It starts in two different places in the minds of two greats. So the first is with Michael Jackson, a confessed Disney fan. He would go to the parks at least two or three times a month sometimes in disguise. He owned a ton of Disney memorabilia, sometimes stuff that was one-of-a-kind Imagineer made, and he was obsessed with Walt Disney, reading everything he could on the life and times of Father Disney. A little bit about the King of Pop at that time, Michael had just put out his all-time best-selling album, Thriller, in 1982, performed a sold-out concert series, The Victory Tour, around the world in 1983, and produced a music video for the song Thriller using cinematic technology, choreography, directing, etc., something that no other music videos had ever done up to 1984. He was on top of the world and was looking for his next big project. So the thriller video directed by John Landis had gotten Michael interested in film. So in conversation with famous record studio producer David Geffen, Geffen suggested working with Disney and specifically with Jeffrey Katzenberg, who was head of Walt Disney Studios at the time and a close friend to Geffen. Katzenberg walked Michael around the studios and then called up the head honcho of Disney at the time, Michael Eisner, to start coming up with ideas, which was good because Michael Eisner was rebuilding his empire and he needed the king of pop. And now here we are at the second starting point of our story. So in 1984, Michael Eisner took over as CEO and chairman of the Walt Disney Company, and he and Frank Wells, his president and chief operating officer, decided they needed to reinvigorate the parks. Having been at Paramount prior to Disney, Eisner decided there was no one better suited to help his vision come to life than his good buddy, George Lucas. So he took George on a tour around the Imagineering facilities. Apparently, museum walkthroughs are also a thing at the studios. And they began to create, which infamously led to star tours but also Captain EO. So Michael Jackson worked with Imagineer Rick Rothschild to create three stories, and then Michael and George picked the one that became Captain EO. To protect his career, Michael asked that George Lucas or Steven Spielberg direct the movie, but both were busy on other projects, so eventually George Lucas brought on good pal Francis Ford Coppola, who needed to repair his career after the box office failure of The Cotton Club which I don't think I had to look it up. I've never seen that movie. (laughs) I've never seen it, but I'm familiar with it. So agreed. It was a box office failure. So we're going to consolidate all the famous people and their roles of this project into one name dropping list. Rick Rothschild, Disney Imagineer, came up with the original story and went on to lead 3D Honey, I Shrunk the Audience, It's Tough to Be a Bug, and Mickey's Philharmagic. John Napier was the Tony Award winner for Cats, the musical, and helped with set design, costume design, and theater effects. And it's said that Michael Eisner was so impressed by him that John could ask for whatever he want and he would get it. Rusty Lemerand had scripted and produced a movie called Electric Dreams, which was like Captain EO. So he became a producer, scriptwriter, on-site producer, second unit director, and helped with editing. James Horner composed the score for Captain EO, and he went on to create Titanic and Avatar. I didn't, and, know, I didn't know James Horner yeah, did the score for this. Right, and many things to come after that. Yeah. Jeff Hornaday, who was the choreographer on Flashdance, was brought in to choreograph the dance and supervise the dancers. Rich Baker had been the makeup artist on Thriller and came to do this. Tom Berman had done Star Wars Holiday Special, a.k.a. Life Day, and did Angelica Houston's makeup design. Lance Anderson had worked on Ghostbusters and was brought in to do the creature design. George Lucas of Star Wars fame was executive producer. And Tom Smith was Lucas's trusted general manager for Industrial Light and Magic for years, and he led the editing. So instantly it should come as no surprise that a group this big, this famous, was extremely over budget. 
Disney has never released the actual figures, but most estimate the budget between 17 to 30 million. There was a lot of dissent among the Imagineers on bringing in all of these outsiders to help with the project, so that didn't help. The initial cut of the film was hidden from Eisner because it did not live up to expectations. Houston's role was cut down significantly, and I never found out why, except maybe her character was just scary or maybe it didn't yeah. play enough in the role. The humor felt forced and flat. The 3D effects paled in comparison to Kodak's Magic Journey, which was the film that Captain EO would then replace. Yeah. And by the time editing was happening, everyone had kind of moved on. Coppola was on to Peggy Sue Got Married. Lucas was working on Howard the Duck and Star Tours. Reshoots did occur, but they couldn't even find some of the parts for the creatures. Stuff was missing or disappeared. The film was supposed to go to Disney to add effects, but it actually went to Industrial Light and Magic first, where it continually sat delayed because of George Lucas's infamous perfectionism. The film opened in Epcot first on September 12, 1986, even though it was made for the Magic Eye Theater in Disneyland. The premiere was a star-studded event, including, yep, it's another name-dropping list, Elizabeth Montgomery, Alan Thicke, Eric Estrada, John Ritter, Whoopi Goldberg, Charles Bronson, Sissy Spacek, Dr. Joyce Brothers, which is real 90s right yeah. there, <laughs> Deborah Winger, Dolph Lundgren, Jack Nicholson, Annette Funicello, who, by the way, got the biggest amount of applause and cheers, Latoya and Janet Jackson, Nicolas Cage, and Molly Ringwald. And guess who did not attend? Michael. Yep, Michael Jackson. Though Eisner implied in his speech that Jackson was in the audience disguised. Yeah. Which I could believe. The film then opened in Disneyland on September 18th, 1986, in Tokyo in 1987, and Paris in 1992. While guests enjoyed the attraction, critics were less enthusiastic. My favorite quote comes from Charles Solomon, writing for the Los Angeles Times on October 9th, 1986. For all its wondrous imagery, Captain EO is nothing more than the most elaborate rock video in history, like a hollow chocolate Easter bunny. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the point. <laughs> that hollow chocolate Easter bunny yeah. line, though. <laughs> Honey, I Shrunk the Audience replaced Captain EO in Epcot in 1994 and then in Disneyland in 1998. Closures at the other parks included September. Included September 1996 in Tokyo and August 1998 in Paris. Oh, so it was in four of the parks. Okay. Yeah, it was It was in all the parks except for Hong Kong, because I don't think Hong, Hong Kong, Kong was open, open or no. Shanghai. Yeah. So then in 2009, something big happened. Michael Jackson passed away. Yeah. So Disney held a private screening for Michael Jackson's children after his passing at the Magic Eye Theater so they could enjoy Captain EO without the prying eyes of the paparazzi or bereaved fans. But it was also a feasibility test. Could they bring this back? On December 18th, 2009, Disney announced they would be bringing back Captain EO beginning in February 2010 for a limited, and I'm air quoting here for people who cannot see me, limited and exclusive engagement at Disneyland. On February 23rd, 2010, the Captain EO tribute appeared at the Magic Eye Theater, but with a couple changes. So the first was the tribute added a pre-show that included clips from the TV documentary Making of Captain EO, and you watched that while you waited in the theater you watched that while you waited for the theater to open. They should have put that in the queue from the beginning. The beginning, right. Yeah. And second, when Honey, I Shrunk the Audience replaced Captain EO, it removed much of the special effects but added a drop bounce floor effect. When Captain EO returned, it did not budget to add the previous effects from its original run, so it just used the ones that Honey, I Shrunk the Audience had, and they just kind of reframed it. <gasps> oh, Disney. <laughs> we don't have budget for that. <laughs> so... 
back to the limited and exclusive part, turned out to not be so limited and exclusive. When Disney opened subsequent tributes in Paris on June 12th, 2010, Tokyo Disneyland on July 1st, and finally Epcot on July 2nd. And although they included the pre-show, they did not include the tribute tacked onto the title. The attraction remained in the parks for nearly five years after. It shuttered at Disneyland on June 18th, 2014, Tokyo Disney on June 30th, Disney Paris, April 12th, 2015, and finally at Epcot on December 6th, 2015. Since its removal from the Magic Eye Theater, Disney has shown sneak peeks of upcoming movies, including Guardians of the Galaxy and Big Hero 6. They also renamed the theater to Tomorrowland Theater in Disneyland. And at Epcot, they've had the Pixar Short Film Festival, which I have never seen, but I think most of them are the shorts that come before the movies. Yes, yeah, they rotate them. The final showing of Captain EO at Epcot was on December 6, 2015 at 7 p.m. 539 guests out of a capacity of 550 sat to watch the final run, so it's a nice send-off, almost a, a full mm-hmm. house. Yeah. So fun facts. So Spielberg was supposed to direct, but he was busy working on The Color Purple. Which you won an Oscar for. <laughs> yep, so good choice there, Steven. <laughs> They thought Michael Jackson's voice was too childlike for his character and were going to dub it in post-production, but George Lucas said no. Thank God. Right? How pissed would Michael Jackson have been? how pissed would the fans have been? You know what he sounds like. Everyone knows what he sounds. It's part of the appeal. Yep, he knew what you were getting into. I get people feel a way about Michael Jackson. I understand this. Especially now, but... Yeah, 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 but... You knew. No. He would look, that would be so weird if they dubbed over his voice. I would want to know who the voice is, given how famous this list related to the project is. Who would be the this famous voice to bring in? Look, this isn't somebody who, he was, he's been famous since he was four. Like, right. <laughs> we've known his voice for a while. So weird. Yeah. So this is my favorite fun fact. Executives feared there were too many crotch gyrations <laughs> in the production from Michael Jackson. <laughs> Again, yes. again goes back to you knew who this was. You Clearly knew who had it was. not seen him perform yep. ever. <laughs> Angelica Houston took this role without realizing what the costume entailed. She was suspended from cables for most of the shoot. Another note on the costume, it became one of the inspirations for the Borg Queen from Star Trek. Oh, yeah, I can see that. Yep. I can totally see that. Yeah. There are over 150 special effects in the film, which is more than they had in Star Wars New Hope. At 17 minutes and a budget of 17 to 30 million, this film was one of the most expensive movies per minute. It has been outshined by Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides, which at 136 minutes with a budget of 378 million is now the most expensive per minute. Oh, I thought you were going to say Avatar. Now Avatar. Way of Water may have. I don't know. I don't know. Way of Water just came out recently too. At the time of recording, Way of Water may have eclipsed that. But I was thinking just the first Avatar. But that would have come up when you were researching it. So I was surprised it was parts of the Caribbean in general. So and a note on the adjustment for inflation. So today the production budget would have been forty-seven to eighty-three million, meaning two to four million dollars a minute. And how? Okay, two to four million a minute. That's a lot. Yeah, that is a lot for a seventeen-minute film. That's a lot. That is a lot. The infamous hyperbaric chamber tabloid photo of Michael Jackson was a publicity stunt meant to drive hype up for this production and was one of the first tabloid controversies that Jackson became famous for. This movie showed on MTV in 2D, but other than this, it has never been released in any other theater or any home video format, and the only way you can see it is via bootlegs or YouTube. Yeah. Which I think is, a for Disney, that is a missed opportunity. They could be making some kind of oh, money off of that. Can you imagine if they charged on, on Disney Plus, the Parks fans would pay? Yeah. I would, would pay five bucks to be able to see that. Yeah. 
on my on my TV in high def, all cleaned up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or even just packaging it in the parks. Like, give me the making of the video, yep. and then maybe a T-shirt to go with it in like a anniversary prize pack. They they need to really think about who their audience is here because. We are the type of people who would totally pay for okay. making of Blu-ray. Here's a blank check. Captain, give me. Well, I also don't think they they do enough merchandising in this. I don't think I so would, either. I would I would buy a hat. I would mm-hmm. buy ears. Yep. I would buy a shirt. I think you know we've gone to the parks several times within the last couple of years, and I I am consistently disappointed by the merchandising. It seems to be a lot on all the new things, but there's a lot of old stuff that Disney is very famous for that we don't get. Nope anything for. They are leaving some money on the table. Yep, exactly. So hidden Mickeys. So there is one hidden Mickey. What? Some say in the light, <laughs> some say in the lights at the back of the ship, but it's not for certain. In searching this, I actually found a debate on the age of the hidden Mickey. And I know we've asked ourselves, what's the origin of the hidden Mickey? And I found this. So the history of the hidden Mickey stems from the design of Walt Disney World's Epcot in 1970s, 1980s. The new park was adult themed and Imagineers needed to find ways to incorporate Mickey into the theming, thus the birth of the hidden Mickey. As Captain EO was an Epcot park attraction, hidden Mickey is completely plausible. So now we know too, it goes back to the 70s and 80s. So I'm rethinking everything. Thing now. Yes, which so, view either is not very many in Pirates and Mansion. <laughs> yep, exactly. At least one. So ratings, I would say if we're talking about our normal factors, like thrill factor, fun yeah. factor, I, and I gave this sevens. It was thrilling. It was fun. Overall, I would say it's a seven for its time period. You had lighting effects. You had smoke, mm-hmm. yeah. 3D. It was Michael Jackson. So super exciting at the time. Would those be the same today in 2022 for like Gen Z? Or alpha? I don't. I don't think so. I don't know because, like, so I go to. I think about tough to be a bug, which is, by the way, terrifying. <laughs> I still have not been. You're a small child. Still have. Not I think been. I told this. My my. I took Elena when she was five. We went this time too, and when she was five, when we went the trip before this one, she was laughing at the kids who were scared. <laughs> Yeah, but that's Elena. That is, she's, she's terrible. She laughed in um, the mansion. But I also think about like Mickey's PhilharMagic, like the kids like that. They like the fact that there's 3D, mm-hmm. they're entertained by it. They like all the, like the tough to be a bug is really interesting because there's a lot going on in the theater, like mm-hmm. a lot of practical effects on top of the screen. Mm-hmm. So I do think for kids, that's thrilling. I think then we need to do a science experiment and have Elena and Issa watch it and then do like if they walk away when they start yeah. playing with other stuff, like what the test would be, even we though we can't do it in 3D. I know, right? I know, yeah. For me, I mean, I so I think seven's about right okay. for this. I loved this as a kid. Like this was one of my favorite things. So the ones things you had to do, yeah, like this on was your a list mu- of this must. was a must do. This was a must do. And we all know how my family feels about Epcot and they're wrong. I mean, Epcot was my favorite part. But Karen had to like this. Oh, my mom loved it. I want to know Karen's rating. Yeah, I should ask her. So she loved Michael Jackson. It's air conditioning for 17 minutes. You get to sit down. So it would be a 10 for Dave. Oh, oh, it would be a 10 out of 10 for (laughs) both of them, probably. (laughs) Well, my mom didn't like writing stuff. My dad likes, like, my dad likes Space Mountain. My Mm -hmm. mom never, she's she's not a roller coaster person. She's not a thrill ride. So this, like, this would probably have been a 10 out of 10 for her. Yeah. Yeah. And it's Michael Jackson. It is Michael Jackson. And I remember being, like, I liked Michael Jackson as a kid. I, I I wasn't like, I like him now more as an adult than I did as a kid. Yeah. yeah. Fascinating. But like, this was really entertaining. Like I liked all the special effects. Mm -hmm. There was a lot going on. 
So I, I remember really, really, really enjoying this. I had fond memories of Captain Neo. I was upset because I didn't realize they, clo- I mean, it makes sense they close it down, right? Oh, but you didn't know. And so when you came, when I went, like, I was like, where's, where's Captain Neo? What is this crap? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was the same way when we went back in the early, I think 1999, it was gone and it was Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And I've never been a big fan of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. I watched it. It was okay. Honey, I Shrunk the Audience. Yeah, yeah, but I wasn't, I wasn't I didn't like it. that. I didn't like that yeah. show. It wasn't no. interesting to me. So I don't, I don't think, I don't think I went to see it again when we went to the parks after that. I was like, eh, I could pass on Honey, I Shrunk the Audience. Well, and so, cause I would have been 14 around that time. Probably. So you were over So it. I was 13, 14. I was probably like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to see this. Like, yeah. Why are we here? But if it was Captain EO, but that's got history. Please let me go ride Spaceship Earth yeah, for the exactly. 10th time. <laughs> exactly. So is this a rope drop ride? You can no longer see Captain EO in Disney. Obviously it is gone, but you can see it on YouTube. So tomorrow morning, wake up early and rope drop that YouTube. <laughs> I don't think this would have been a rope drop ride. I don't and, either. Cause, cause I don't remember it being, so the thing with shows is they're not, they, they're not difficult to, yeah. I mean, you have to plan around them sometimes. Festival of the Lion King would be one that, you know, you have to get in line early for that. So I for would imagine Captain EO at its peak. Okay. Yeah. Would have been so you might have to get in line for it, but I, I don't think it's something you rope drop. Yeah. And I mean, you're waiting for the previous, right. you know, movie to end yep. as you're waiting. So I have some of that because there actually was some data at thrilldata.com for this ride. Yeah. Amazingly Thrill, Thrill data has, yeah. Oh, they didn't, they didn't have, what was it? What was one of the rides we talked about that they didn't have? Well, they had one where they didn't have any information because it was out, uh, uh, Figment? The, under the, uh, uh, oh, 20,000 leagues 20,000 the they didn't have. Yeah. Which didn't close that long ago, but Captain EO they had. The film runtime is 17 minutes. The average wait time was about five minutes. The record high was 45 minutes. Yeah, so that confirms. I would, at 45 minutes, I, I would not rope drop. And I, I wouldn't have a problem waiting 45 minutes for that yeah. again. It's a 17-minute show. Yep. So basically what you're waiting for is the... Two the, shows prior. The pre-show, the show, yeah, and then maybe you don't yeah. get in because the, the pre-show is packed. Yeah. So depending on the theater, anywhere from 500 to 550 seats were available. Obviously, any height could ride it. Budget was between 17 to 30 million, as we discussed. And then closing thoughts. So I, I had I had two thoughts on this. So one was, I, I always loved this film. I remember seeing it in its first run in 1989 at the Magic Eye Theater. I loved it. Angelica Houston creeped me out, but like in a good way. Uh, I loved Michael, the puppets. The 3D blew my mind because I was, you know, three years old. And... I, like I said, I don't think it would be the greatest thing now in 2022, but one of the things that I read was they didn't feel that Michael Jackson was a captivating like leader in the movie. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I, I can't believe that, you know, in watching things like Smooth Criminal, like when I watched that, I had to go and watch that music video and oh, I love that he's video. just so captivating Remember and, the time. Yeah. Well, remember the time too, but Smooth Criminal, I would say, is probably one of his betters where he's like, you can't take your eyes off of him. Yeah. And he's just got a presence where when I, when I read something like, oh, he didn't have, like, he didn't feel like a leader of a group. And I was like, I just, I don't, I don't believe that at when all. When you can command a stadium. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the other thing to go look at, if anybody's curious, is the, for, for sure the, the victory tour, but mm-hmm. But uh, the history mm-hmm. tour, because yep. I mean, he was doing like mega, mega stadiums, yep. and like I think that's the one where he jumped out of the stage yes. to enter. Yep. 
And like you can see all these clips, he jumps out of the stage and like doesn't do anything for a solid explodes. five minutes, and people are losing, and people are like wait, like, <laughs> yeah. and they they stop cheering, and then they're just waiting. Yep, yep. And it's like, yeah, that that blows my mind a little bit to to think that they couldn't, because if anyone could command, yep, like that was that was, I mean, he was super talented. He sang, he danced like no one else on this planet, but. Like his stage command was incredible. Yeah. So to me, when I think about that, that to me says, is it the writing? Is it the directing? I mean, I I love Francis Ford Coppola's stuff, but I don't know. Well, I mean, here's the, and look, Coppola, Coppola is great. I I love a lot of his movies. Sci-fi is not his. Yeah. Not his bad. Like that, that Lucas, I mean, Coppola is a better director than Lucas. Come for me, Star Wars fans. Come for me. Um, I'll take is. you out back later, Jess. He, he's a better director, but Lucas is much better suited to sci-fi. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and Spielberg, I mean, Spielberg would have lapped him. Yeah. I think they both have a different presence when it comes to that. They're more like character driven when it comes specifically to well, sci-fi with plot and then the the specifics of, I don't know what you want to say it, but it's it's more subjective. Well, the other thing is, like, I think the thing that's certainly Spielberg and I think even Lucas, if you look at the the prequels, like the part I think they would have brought to this where, where Coppola is lacking, which I think they're they're getting to with some of the comments is I think they would have made it more appealing to a wider audience, namely the kids, because mm-hmm. like Spielberg spe- especially, but Lucas as well, they really know how to take those stories that adults love, but connect them to children as well. So if you look at like ET, like I think about ET, yep. for example, sci-fi adults love it really connects with you as a kid on a different level. Yeah. And I think, you know, had Spielberg or uh, Lucas taken the helm on that, it might've, might've yeah. been a different outcome. might've been too many hands in the pot or like oh, too many yeah. cooks in the kitchen at, at some point. The other thing that I, that I think about this though, cause I, I rewatched it recently and I watched the making of a, a couple weeks ago, but the impact on like the what you talked about the Borg for for Star Trek, I will say the the art direction of this oh it was amazing was incredible yep. and it definitely impacted Star Trek yeah because if you look at it and then you look at like the Next Generation movies oh yeah which yep. came out after this yep <laughs> and I I want to say whenever I watch those Star Trek movies I'd be like man this reminds me of Captain EO mm-hmm. so it's funny that that then influenced Star Trek and they all influence yeah so if each you're other. if you're a sci-fi fan because I like I I love. I love science fiction. I love fantasy. If you're if you're a sci-fi fan and you have like it's it's worth a look at you on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Just even if you don't like Michael Jackson, just to kind of see the the design of everything and what yeah. they did. There's a lot of interesting stuff they did, and and a lot of that was state of the art for the time. Oh yeah, yeah. At that price tag, it sh- it certainly should yeah, have no been. No kidding, man. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so and then my second thought is, I don't think that they're utilizing those theaters with the types of technology that it has. Like it's built for more. Agreed. To just put in the Pixar Film Festival, it's kind of like just a movie theater now. And I think well, that- we talked about this whole pavilion on the Figment episode. Oh, you know, yeah. I have issues with yes. like that. They're not utilizing that pavilion at all. Yep. And I agree. I think I think you need to do something like an it's a t- it's tough to be a bug yep. or even Mickey's Philharmonic Magic, which doesn't have a ton of stuff going on in the theater, but they're utilizing a much wider range of a screen. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's I agree. There's a lot more you could do. I think they need to bring in like a space element or something something to it. You know, I think about my girls who right now are like super intrigued with space. Like yep. they would totally watch a 3D 
space movie. Yep. Space or something about the planet. If Epcot's more going in that direction with like the new no Moana. Well, the land pavilion's right there. Yep. So. Yep. And, and between there and the, the Moana way of, it's not way of the water, way of the land. No, I think it's way of water. Is it? Because it's going to be all water flooding. Or what's it going to be? Called? Well, between Moana and the land, I think that there is some opportunity there for some change, and then definitely space in the Tomorrowland theater because it's right there in Tomorrowland. The journey of water. Journey of water. There we go. That's so going to be the Moana attraction. So opportunity, and if they're looking for a project manager to keep them under budget, I am available. And and you know people to help with the merchandising. Tandy and I yes, are always please. available. Please, please, please for merchandise, Bob. Yep. Give me a call. Yep. <laughs> Uh, Iger, not Chapek. Not Chapek. I don't, Chapek, want, to I don't want to talk to you. No. So resources <laughs> used for this is Wikipedia, mouseplanet.com, YouTube, including the film and the making of Captain EO. Dear Disney, please don't take it off. IMDB, <laughs> yesterland.com, disney.fandom.com, mickeyvisit.com, and discuss.micechat.com. I don't have a going out. Beat it. Beat it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's make like Michael Jackson and beat it. <laughs> If you liked today's episode of Into the Disneyverse, check us out on Instagram at Disneyverse Historians or on Facebook at Into the Disneyverse. The music in this episode was created by Skolex from freesound.org. Thanks again for listening and catch you next time. <laughs>